Hello, and welcome to episode 20 of My Dog Will Eat My Face. In this episode, I plan to dive a little bit deeper into the question of why am I still here? And allow me to elaborate on that some more. I know in my previous podcasts, I've pretty much complained ad nauseum about losing the things that are most important to me and losing the things that I found the most joy in in my life. And while these are all true, I'm actually, in hindsight, surprised that that loss is not more devastating than it seems to be. For example, I'm not just succumbed to (laughs) the bed in the bedroom. I am not completely watching the clock, just watching the time tick by, awaiting for the arrival of my my turn to succumb to that sweet kiss to infinity. I don't do that. On a day-to-day basis, I'm doing things. I'm busy. (laughs) I I realized this uh, several times recently. I often have to check my calendar just to know when I can see someone, when I can plan on a delivery, when I can plan on an appointment. I've, I've got to check my calendar because yes, indeed, I'm busy. And even when there's nothing on the calendar, I'm always doing things. I'm not sulking in the corner awaiting my turn to go. And that is peculiar to me. That's what I mean with respect to the question of why am I still here? What exactly am I doing? (laughs) Because honestly, having lost all my favorite things, all the things I love to do in life, I truly, truly would expect a far more devastating reaction. Not to say that my reaction has not been just sunshine and puppy dogs and gleeful fairies flying around handing me my pants in the morning nothing like that I've definitely taken my fair share of crying and not wanting to get out of bed and being despondent and and remorseful over my losses that is true I've not escaped any of that and if I didn't have that, I would think there'd be something seriously wrong with me. I'd probably be deranged to some extent. Because I think to lose things like that, of course a person's going to react negatively. To some extent. To a probably pretty large extent. But as I consider it again, my reaction has been sort of... There's a place to 
be remorseful and to lament. And there are places where I've got other things I want to do. Not just to do, but even more importantly, things that I want to do. And that got me to to thinking that it's really those things that must be at least in part, at least spiritually, if that's a real word, at least uh, psychologically, let's use that word, that's, that's a far better word, and I think more accurate. I think those things are what have psychologically really allowed me to somehow keep moving forward and keep my head above water, despite those huge losses. Which, again, I find time to lament. And there is time, a lot of times, that I spend devoted to just that. But it's not my whole day. And so for this podcast, I'm really going to try to answer this question as to what the heck am I still doing here? What are those things that are somehow keeping me alive and keeping me driven? Maybe keeping me alive is a bit presumptuous. I'm sure there's a much larger physiological thing or multiple things going on that I am unaware of. But at least on a psychological level and on a level with respect to happiness and ability to still enjoy life, certainly there are other things that are keeping me above water and keeping me away from death's door. So for this podcast, as I said, I'm going to explore those things that really keep me busy all day. And it might come as a surprise to a lot of my listeners. I think when someone hears somebody's in home hospice, that's all they do is sit around and sulk and take their medicine and lament their losses. There's certainly a lot of that, but there's also a lot that's not that. And that's what I'm going to focus on for today's podcast. So to begin with here, let me start just with, well, a list of the things that I enjoy and are really my hobbies, for lack of a better word. And it's amazing to me, before I even get into this list, how at this point in my life, something as mundane as one's own hobbies can become so important and and reflect on that as I get down this list and 
kind of where I go from here. Just, just kind of hold that in the back of your head for me. That how something that you normally would never even think about it has such an importance now in my life. It may be keeping me alive. So that said, I've got still a plethora of hobbies. Uh, I, I have many interests. I, I do many things, so to speak. Uh, it's not just that I am limited to those four or five favorite things that I used to do. Yeah, they were wonderful. Yes, I love travel. Yes, I loved eating in restaurants. Yes, I love seeing friends out and about. But I still had hobbies. Many of these carried with me throughout my whole life. The first one I'll touch on is, is aviation. And oh, before I go further, sorry. These are in no particular order. This is just off the top of my brain. So, um, don't see any meaning into the order. <laughs> it's just how my brain vomited these, these things out to me. Um, so, anyway, the first one is aviation. I'm an aviation buff. I always, well, since I was little, for, for sure, always have been. Uh, I jokingly say to people, I like pretty airplanes. <laughs> and it's true. I do love pretty airplanes. I am, I am a big aviation buff. Uh, I used to actually be in Civil Air Patrol. I was an officer in that. Uh, if you don't know what that is, it's the Civilian Auxiliary Force of the United States Air Force. So I was... I was a standing officer briefly in that and I've always had an extreme interest in aircraft, their design, how they operate uh, ranging everywhere from vintage to new it, it's truly been a, a huge interest of mine and you might be wondering how on earth does a hobby like aviation keep you busy during the day when you're hooked up to 18 liters of oxygen. Well, that is a bit of a problem. <laughs> but I, I find ways. Um, certainly there are plenty of documentaries on this. There's, there's tons, of, tons of pieces of information that one could still learn with respect to aviation. I, I know quite a bit about it, and there's still so much more to learn. And I can get assistance through that just through simple documentaries, which I often seek out and find online. Again, thank God for the internet. And it, what matters is what you use it for. <laughs> so, <clears throat> I definitely use the internet to help quench a lot of that curiosity with aviation. In addition to that, I, I do have the basic home simulators one might find and a little aviation buffs computer system you know complete with the with the rudder pedals and the yoke and the flight sticks and the side controls and all that and uh, I've taught myself at least in the simulator to fly all kinds of aircraft and uh, 
it's a total hoot for me. I love it. It, it. it sounds silly. It sounds like I'm just playing a video game. And, and in essence, I am. But it's super complex. You, you have to be handling all the aspects of flight of the aircraft. If, if you have the reels and turned all the way up, you've got things like rudder pedals and yoke sticks and things that are physically at least to some extent realistic. Um, obviously, it's not the real thing at all, but it's something. And I always say something is better than nothing, right? And so I definitely do exercise that hobby and that interest just with home simulations. I love them. I, I, I get a real kick out of them, to be honest with you. Um, I've actually had the good fortune of being in the real life simulators where... Uh, well, you can't get in them anymore, thanks to 9-11. But they were, uh, you know, those full-size, turning, yoking, moving uh, cockpits that you get to sit in and, and are fully, uh, fully done simulations that they train actual airline pilots on. I was on an Airbus... Uh, what, what, I think it was an Airbus 320 simulation once at the United Flight School in uh, Denver, in Colorado. And it was so fun. I actually, on my own in the cockpit, I took off in the aircraft, flew around the field, and came in for an IFR landing on the runway. <laughs> and the... The instructor guy who was just kind of standing there, just sitting there, he wasn't really doing anything. Uh, he looks at me and goes, what airline do you fly for? <laughs> and I said, none. <laughs> so don't make fun of those home simulations. They can be so incredibly detailed and so thorough that you can learn so much with them that you can take off and land an aircraft, at least in a simulator. And I've had the good fortune of being in the cockpits of, of the real A320, too. And I've actually sat in the captain's seat and, and messed with the dials and flight and all that. Of course, this was pre-9-11. There's no way they'd let a, a civilian up there nowadays just for fun. But <clears throat> I did have that opportunity. So that's, that's a great hobby of mine. Uh, second to that is architecture. I am an architecture nut. I always have been since I was a little boy. I even own a drafting table. Uh, my brother, my oldest brother gave it to me, complete with the T-square and all the different pencils you use and the lighting fixture and all the elements you need to draft. He uh, gave that to me a long time ago, and I would draft and design buildings just for the fun of it. But architecture is by far a huge interest of mine. Just huge. And there's so many outlets for that. We're surrounded by it in, in the city. You can't escape it. So I can I can look at buildings and I can tell you what what everything is. And I can tell you the attributes of the design. I can tell you the style, whether I like it or dislike it. Uh, and I might have strong opinions on that. 
Also, books are an awesome source for that. I, I'm still buying architecture books, and I, I'm in my 40s. I've bought them since I was a little, like, 13-year-old. Uh, that whole gamut of my life, I've bought architecture books and read them. <laughs> they didn't just collect dust, dust. I read them. And so it's definitely something that's everywhere in our lives. It's, it's a hobby of mine where, to where I've gone so far as designing buildings for giggles. And, uh, and I love architecture books and, and reading them. And combining them, like I've said before, I've read Vitruvius, the Roman architects, 10 books on architecture, and tried to apply it to a real building in design. Actually, several times I've done this. And that was just fun for me. It was total geek out, applying the, the standards and the uh, measurements and the parameters set forth by Vitruvius in an actual building design. That was totally fun, combining the learning with the book with the actual design on the drafting table. In essence, I designed my own college class and forced myself in it, but I loved it. So architecture is a huge interest of mine. And again, it's, we, we're surrounded by it. You can't escape it. You live in a building. You can't escape it. And I, I exercise that hobby daily, easily daily. And the mention, mentioning Vitruvius digresses to the next hobby, which is history. I love history. I'm sure my listeners have noticed I, I do love and adore history. I, I'm really good at it in geography. I memorize it like it's, it's nothing for some reason. I can look at a map and draw it from memory seven years later. And I've always had that ability. So I've always been really good at like geography. That's some, that's different, but it's part of history. And uh, in particular, though, I love Roman history. I've always loved Roman history. And if you were to just look at my home office, it's decked out and references to ancient Rome, busts of ancient Romans or their gods. I have paintings up of things like the Rape of the Sabines from the Roman Empire. Uh, above, uh, Literally where I'm sitting now in my home office, above me there's that painting. Behind me there's a map of the Roman Empire on the wall. To my left there's a bronze bust of the General Agrippa who served under Caesar. And so I am just fanatical about Roman history. I love learning about it. And that is something that can be exercised as a hobby daily through not just documentaries, but again, there's a lot of PC games out there that are incredibly accurate that take place in the Roman Empire and you can immerse yourself in that and play your little game in the Roman Empire. <laughs> it's not like the real thing, of course, but it's something. And believe it or not, I still learn things from games. Like, what the heck is is this unit here? I can't figure out this out, you know, and so I have to look it up. 
And next thing I know, I'm reading all about something I never knew. And uh, it all derived from just playing a silly PC game. So Roman history is, is a huge, huge hobby of mine. I also collect artifacts, Roman coins, rings. So I'm a, I'm a big collector with that as well. So please don't rob me is my next, uh, next uh, statement there. Don't rob me, please. I, I collect Roman artifacts, so uh, stay away. <laughs> anyway, uh, another hobby is kind of related to the architecture one. It's cities and urban design itself. I love city design. I love how cities are laid out. And I love reading about it. I have books on it. I've watched documentaries on it. I have games that simulate it again. Games that simulate it. There's a game out there that's literally just called Cities. Great simulation game of a city. Fantastic. I can't recommend it more if you're into urban planning and building a city or building games. Wonderful game. Uh, it, it is so incredibly complex. It will take you several months to get it down right, to learn it. But once you got it down, you're, you're building a real city that's simulated. A real city that's simulated. That doesn't make sense. But you're building a realistic, is what I meant to say, city that's simulated uh, to where, at least in this game, every individual person in your city's life is simulated by the computer. Where they work, where they sleep, where they, you know, get, how they get married, where they go to school, when they're out of school, how do, how do they get a job, how do they drive to work, all the way up to and including their health care and their death. So it's that heavily simulated for each individual. So all those attributes of a city must be met. Everything from traffic to school to health care to death care to mass transit to layout to zoning to employment, of course, to, to you name it. It's, it's, it's a part of that simulation. And so that little simulation is a huge hobby of mine as well and finally um, I, I guess it's somewhat of a hobby it, it's just art and design you probably gathered that if I've got my home office decked out in Roman art uh, I do kind of like art and and just I have an artistic vein in in my body uh, so my apartment is not dull, it's not minimalist, it is loaded up with paintings and a lot of style. Uh, and that's just because I, I really enjoy that sort of thing. I really enjoy uh, combining and contrasting or combining and amalgamating styles. I enjoy paintings, I enjoy pieces of artwork. And I like placing them and, and making them work together with other forms of art or similar art. And that's just something I've always been good at. I've had a good eye for it. And it's something that's always been a part of my life and it's still reflective today. 
you come to my home, I, I, it's, it's very well decorated. And, and I don't say that to be a braggart by any means. It's because my brain goes that way. And to me, it's, it's like a hobby. It's something I enjoy. I don't hire someone to come in and put these things up. <laughs> I, I pick out my own things. I place them. I decide what goes where and what I need to wear. And to me, that's fun. That's a, that's a ton of fun to decorate a room to make it habitable for me. That is something I really enjoy. And, and it's definitely a big hobby in my life, so to speak. So right there, you get a good insight as to what my hobbies are. Uh, and all that being said, there, there's one other thing I should add. I like me. I know that's going to sound conceited and terrible to some people, but I like my personality. Why wouldn't I? I feel bad for people that don't like themselves and don't like their personality. With my hobbies in mind and with my life in mind, you know, where I've been, what I've done, and, and the kind of person I've become, I like me. I enjoy me. I enjoy myself, which sounds really dirty, but I don't mean it like that. <laughs> I enjoy, I enjoy just being by myself. I can have fun just totally isolated on my own because I authentically enjoy my own personality. And that is... I think the highest level of Maslow's Pyramid. To be able to have that self-actualization to where you know who you are and you're like, huh, I like that. I like me. And that can change a lot about your life. And it can change a lot about whether or not you want to keep living your life. If it's something you like, eh, you're probably not going to want to give it up, even in the face of tremendous losses. And that's just it. I just rattled off a whole bunch of hobbies. I'm sorry I went so quickly, but there's so many, and there's so much more I could have said. But I'm trying to express to my listeners that I do things every day. I'm always doing something. I don't just sit in a chair and stare and accept my fate. I still do things that I enjoy. And above all, what that leads to is I enjoy myself. Even if I'm alone in my room, I enjoy myself. I say things to myself that crack myself up and that's all I need. I don't need other people to laugh. If I tell a joke to myself, that's sufficient. I enjoy that. And that, I think, still greatly outnumbers my losses. Those four or five things are my favorite things that are gone. 
while true is that it's a terrible loss there's still so much more behind that there's such a huge foundation that I perhaps lost my most favorite I don't know shingles on the roof of myself of my personality maybe I lost my most favorite uh, banister or something on the exterior of my personality but the rest of the house is there it's still there and it's exercise daily it's not something that's abstract at all to me these are things that live with me daily and I think because of that I'm still more me myself than not and I think that is a huge drive as to why I'm still here. And moving on, the other thing I want to talk about is friends and family. Now, again, I know this is a topic that I have bemoaned in the past and said I was not seeing a lot of support in this area. And I've also said quite often that I suffer from isolation during the course of my disease. And this is all still true in a lot of respect. Actually, in all respect. The fact of the matter is, is that I am now more isolated than I ever had been in my entire life. There absolutely has been significant loss with respect to that. And that is certainly not a lie and something that I still definitely lament. However, I would lie if I said I didn't have any friends or family that didn't support me. The fact of the matter is, is I do have friends. Now, I don't see them, which is the isolation issue. I do chat with them often. That is just through the phone. I text with them daily, usually. And they do offer emotional support and listen to me. Or <laughs> read me, as it were, if I text a rant or complain about my disease or anything else that's going on. They've been there for me in that they have received such complaints and not ignored me. So in that respect, that is absolutely still a good thing. And 
with family, I still maintain really good relationships and really good support from some very key people. The only isolation that I have with them, frankly, is just the burden of distance, I think. I have one of my brothers and his wife, both of whom I'm very, very close to, and they support me uh, to the hill. They have been there for me so many times that I cannot even begin to count them. And I'm indebted to them forever. And I sincerely mean that. That for those two individuals, certainly, uh, I'm just amazed at the support I have received. And even though it's all been done from 1,500 miles away, it has been support nonetheless, and very good support for that matter as well. And again, I chat with them, at least with uh, my brother's wife, almost daily. Uh, it'd be a strange day if we did not chat with each other. So that's some good interaction to some extent and some support. Again, I'm still isolated. I'm not doing this in person, which, yeah, I'm more than welcome to bemoan and lament, but I have to give credit where it's due. It's not their fault they're 1,500 miles away. And they do provide the comfort that they can, and they go the extra mile they can. And they do that consistently, I would say 100% of the time. And for that, I'm very lucky. Also in that category, I'd put my father. He's been very comforting and very much there for me throughout this whole ordeal. Uh, he stayed with me, actually, briefly. And... That must have been hard on him because I don't have an extra bedroom. <laughs> but he did stay with me. Uh, and he showed his support in person, not just remotely. But now he does show his support again remotely. It's a distance thing. He's Maybe not 1,500 miles away, but 1,200 miles away or something. <laughs> He's still slightly more than a couple blocks away. <laughs> so I can't fault him for that. Um, but notwithstanding the distance, he's been consistently very supportive. He's listened to me every time I've had to share my issues or lament about any issue. He has always been there for me. And amongst all these people in my life, the friends and the family, they do give me comfort, help, and emotional assistance. And, again, 
It's not in person, but I often say it and I'll say it again. Something is better than nothing. And these people definitely provide something. Something even above and beyond something. They provide the best support they can from the burden of their distance. And for that, I'm extremely lucky. And combined with the aforementioned view with respect to my own self-esteem, I guess, for lack of a better non-overused word or phrase, they, when combined with that, do help tremendously as I go through this process and this disease. And I would venture to say that they are a huge portion as to why, again, I'm still here. Finally, amongst the things that I think help keep me here on this earth, so to speak, is, strange to say, my past. I think my pride and my experience in my own personal history is something that really does keep a drive within me, and I'll try to explain that further. You see, in high school, I was actually a star quarterback in varsity football, believe it or not. I was going to go pro until I hurt my hamstring in the fourth quarter of the third regional finals. So, to this day, I tell lots and lots and lots of high school football stories. And... I am totally kidding. None of that is true. Um, that, I think, is actually Ted Bundy from Married with Children. That is not me. No. I'm sorry. That was a total lie. <laughs> anyway. No. In all seriousness, I am grateful for my past because I'm grateful for my travel history. My personal business history when I was... Actually, 16, I started my own business in import-export. That's a whole other story for another day, but... Yeah, at 16, I owned my own business. My father co-signed it with me to make it legal, because I was underage. And it was an import-export business, and I sold sugar and canned foods primarily to... Russia. I'm also proud, more than anything, honestly, of my 20-plus year career in the legal world. I've said this before, I don't need to repeat it here, but my 
accomplishments and the good work I did that I know actually helped millions of people in my career is something that I'm very proud of. I'm also thankful, almost the antithesis of that, <laughs> for my wild 20s. Things I did then that are best kept secret for now. <laughs> I, I don't feel like there's a lot of things there that I should share. And I have to uh, preserve the impression of an innocent nerd. And I definitely did that in my 20s. I, I had this... Oh ambiance, I don't know what the word is, uh, overall personality it would seem of a completely innocent geek, um, but I was nothing but innocent, <laughs> I, again, I'm not going to get into it because friends and family listen to this and I don't want to make them faint out of their chairs, but Maybe stories for another day is when I can discuss my my more wild 20s. <laughs> I call them my roaring 20s, uh, where I definitely pushed the envelope quite a bit and definitely got away with it, so to speak. I mean... I was never arrested or anything. And things ended up being fine. But I'm proud of that history because I experienced it. I got to experience those things that were intense, that were silly, that were risky, and lived to tell the tale. So in all honesty, even though there are things there that are too personal to where I wouldn't want to share them. It doesn't mean I'm not in a weird sense proud of them. Because I did experience sort of the two edges of the sword of life. The, the straight A student running his own business at 16 traveling the world to the other side of that edge, which was, well, again, a lot more debauchery that I would dare not get into here. At least for now. <laughs> so, the point being is that all these things in my past, I know are pivotal. They're, they're the foundation of my character, of who I am. While I'm lost with who I am, these things are absolutely part of me at my core. And I know that without them I would be a totally different person. And since I like how I turned out. Again, I like me, even though that sounds weird and conceited. 
But I have my moments where I'm utterly miserable. I do, and deep down, like myself. That means I like how those things turned out. And they were an enormous part of my life. And did craft me into who I am today, regardless. Regardless of it being goody two-shoe, straight-A student, running my own business, excellent career, to other experiences that pushed the envelope and did things that, let's just say, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> but I got, I got both sides of that in my life, and I think that helps to create me a, into being a whole person. And that's why I gained strength from all of those things. The good and the quote-unquote risque alike. They helped to define who I am today. And since I am the only person I know, I mean, how do I word this? I only know myself for who I am today. So I couldn't have it any other way. And for that, I have to be thankful for all those experiences, good and bad and ugly. Because it did craft me into who I am. So, my past indeed, what I used to do, the things I did, absolutely contribute to who I am and I think are absolutely foundational into what keeps me going despite the hardship that I'm enduring today. Sorry, before I move on and close out, I realized that I said in the last segment, Ted Bundy. That's not right. (laughs) I meant to say Al Bundy from Married with Children. Ted Bundy is someone very, very different and whose appetites I can never relate with. I had to make that correction before moving on. So as I wrap things up with this podcast, I think I've come to learn at least somewhat my theory as to why 
I'm here. That is, why am I still hating on against all odds and in the face of such grave losses as what I've been faced with? And although those losses are severe, I mean, beyond measure in some respects, losing my mother, my dog, losing my best friend, watching my health collapse, and losing the ability to do my most favorite things, no matter how severe those are. If you were to count up those things that what make a man a man, it seems to me that they're still very much counted in my column. That is to say, I am still who I was, at least as best as possible. I still have many things that I enjoy and love, for sure. I have these hobbies that I share, and those were just the ones off the top of my head, mind you. I'm certain I'm forgetting others. But it seems that those things are really what get me through the day. Well, that's actually a stupid statement. They do get me through the day. I experience them daily, and I'm busy with these things daily, so it's not even really merely a theory, I think it's just a fact that these things get me through my life. It's my love for these various things that help me remain who I am, help keep me aligned with who I am as a person, and allow me to continue to live despite the face of adversity that I face on a daily basis. Now, this isn't to belittle those losses, of course. I still think those were substantial. I would give anything to have those losses back. But that's just not an option. So I could dwell on that. I could dwell on what I can give to have those things back or how much I would give. Problem is there's just no takers. There's no one to do such a trade with. So to exercise such, such thoughts is just 
futile, unfortunately. But I can acknowledge those things that keep me alive and keep me going and keep me happy. Because they're absolutely true and they're still here. And it helps to keep me oriented as to what is still important to me in my life. What do I still have to live for? And how there still remains many things that are important to me on a daily basis. So, I think I've answered my question as to why I'm still here. (laughs) It was really perplexing me. It really was. I was wondering what in the heck just through love loss you would think I would be beyond suffering and unable to function. But that's not been my experience. So I think I've answered the question fully. I know why I'm still here. And it's those things that, when taken apart bit by bit, they seem little. But as a whole, they help to create a whole person. And if that is still there, then there's something still worth living for. And with that being said, I do want to thank you all for listening to my humble little podcast. I think that wraps it up for this week. If you don't mind, please click on to follow the podcast and to turn on notifications so you're notified of future podcasts. And if you really want to support the podcast further, go to patreon.com slash my dog will eat my face. Again, patreon.com slash my dog will eat my face. I'll put the link in the description. But honestly, above all, and to be honest, this is one more value that I have in my life. And that is to thank all of you for listening. It does mean a lot to me. And I'll chalk that up too in the calmest of things that keep me whole and keep me living. And for that, I couldn't possibly thank all of you enough just for chiming in and listening to my piddly little podcast. Thank you. And with that, I'm going to say, speak to you next week, and I'll feed a second.